Welcome to the What's Up Docs podcast, the documentary podcast for all of us. I'm Tony Bell, the creator and host. This week's guest is a programmer for the Watsonville Film Festival, which is in California. Watsonville is on the unceded territory of the Ohlone. Ohlone is a collective of around 50 separate tribes with related languages that were collectively placed under umbrella term Ohlone. The Ohlone are Native American people located in the Northern California coast. Tribes inhabited areas from the coast of San Francisco through Monterey Bay to Lower Salinas Valley. The Ohlone family of tribe has been living in the area for over 10,000 years. The present-day Ohlone tribe is comprised of surviving American Indian lineages aboriginal to the San Francisco Bay region who trace their ancestry through the Missions Dolores, Santa Clara, and San Jose, and who were also members of the historic, federally recognized Rona Band of Alameda County. The homeland of the Ohlone tribe includes the following counties, San Francisco, San Mateo, Mosa Santa Clara, Alameda, Contra Costa, and portions of Napa, Santa Cruz, Solana, and San Joaquin. To learn more about the Ohlone, please find a link on this episode's webpage. In this episode, I speak with Mexican filmmaker and co-director of the Video Consortium in Mexico City, Brenda Avalajara. During our conversation, we chat about her latest feature project, Libertad, the professional needs of Mexican content creators outside of urban strongholds such as Mexico City, the immigration conversation that's happening or rather not happening in Mexico, and the educational distribution co-op New Day Films. The song for this week's episode is Pueblos by Lila Downs and Sarah Kuricic. The song speaks about indigenous solidarity and strength without borders. Kuricic is Guatemalan and Downs is Mexican-American with roots in Oaxaca, which feels particularly resonant to Libertad and many other themes of transnational solidarity addressed along the episode. As a plus, one of Libertad's producers and DPs, Cassandra Casalo, is a DP for the video to the song. Cassandra is a Mexican indigenous Mixtexa filmmaker. Here is our conversation, which was recorded in October 2021. So I always um, begin these conversations with um, how I met the person. So actually, I don't know if you remember, but this is years ago, you were presenting your short film at Outfest Fusion. And I was actually moderating the Q&A with you and the other filmmakers. And that was like the first time I kind of like became aware of you and the, your project. So tell us the name of what the short was. Wow. Yeah, Tony, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's just it, one of those things that then you look back and you're like, you don't even realize how many people were there and like, you know, how everyone was in a, this trajectory of, of growth and, and so many things were about to happen. And so, yeah, so that was Outfest. I think it was, Wow like 2017 or something. So it was a short film called Libertad, which was kind of like a profile piece of one of my dear friends from here in Santa Cruz, Alejandra Santiago, who's a trans woman. Uh, she's indigenous Oaxacan. And it was a little bit of, yeah, kind of like a profile piece about all her, her dreams to help her community because she's a care advocate and she's bringing, uh, it was about her and, and a local doctor that basically brought transgender healthcare to Santa Cruz County in uh, Northern California. And I remember Vicky Du from that was there in that Q&A and then we realized we were in the same place at the same time. Um, so 
it was really great to, to see your project, but also to see how it's evolved. And so we'll talk about that later. But I remember I was up in the, the Santa Cruz area for the AAA conference, the anthropology conference, and you were screening the film there. And actually Alejandra was there and I totally like fangirled, you know? <laughs> It's like just so like it was so cool. Like I think I was a little afraid to like talk to her because like sometimes you know I, I get nerdy about those things. But it was just so awesome just to see her and be able to see her reactions to the film and just like kind of be in her presence. So because she really is, she, I mean, she's such a powerhouse. She's such a powerhouse indeed. How did you get started in documentary? Mm, that is always the question that sometimes I'm like, why did I ever get started <laughs> documentary? What was I thinking? Why are you doing this work? I got started because I am born and raised in Mexico City. During my first year in journalism school in college in Mexico City, I went through some, you know, financial problems and just kind of personal moment of I'm not sure what I'm doing with my life. So I came to the U.S. and I was working under the radar as a nanny for multiple events in life, I was incredibly lucky to receive a scholarship to the University of New Mexico. It was very random strike of luck. I ended up going to the University of New Mexico. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go for journalism because that's, I am a journalist. And then I'm like, oh, but this is my second language. And I can't fully, you know, a lot of the ideas and the cultural nuances and, you know, AP style, all these things that I would just trying to learn and keep up with was just, it was just not going to work. And so that's when I found film because in film you could show instead of tell, right? So, so, uh, right. That was, well, in theory, in theory, let's write it. Sure, sure, sure. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point it was kind of my saving grace, right? So I started experimenting with film and then I was, I started leaning towards documentary for a number of reasons. One of them was definitely that, you know, it was, I started appreciating more what it entails to listen, right? Partly because I was, I was new in a place where I was, I was lucky enough that I already spoke English, but not to the extent where I felt confident enough sometimes to speak up. And I think a uh, shout out to anyone whose second language is English or who's living in a country where, you know, they're not, it's not their native language that's spoken there because you know, sometimes I was in conversations and, and then it would be several minutes later that I'd be like, oh, this would have been a great response. Or, you know, even I got home and I'm like, I should have said this. Right. And so a lot of that, I became, I was like that for many years because of the process of language learning. So, you know, stepping into documentary was like, this is kind of similar in some ways, right? I have to, when people are talking, when I'm listening to them, you know, just I have to have having to kind of fight that impulse of like, I have something to say, or oh, this happened to me too, or blah, 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 you know, and just kind of sit in the moment and just, you know, let people just be. And, and I really appreciated that. It really spoke to me at a very specific moment of my life. And that kind of determined the trajectory. of. That's great. Um, one of my master's degrees is in teaching English to speakers of other languages. And like, until you like are in a position where you're learning how to teach English, you really don't get how crazy English is. <laughs> like so much of it doesn't make sense. It's like, oh, why do we do these things? Because like other languages, like you can read it and it looks like it sounds. It's very clear. Like, but in English, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So I always have like admiration for folks who, who are learning English, particularly as, as an adult, because it's just, yeah, it's just so many rules you all have to. And a lot of times you all speak it like better than us because like you learn the formal way, you know? <laughs> 
better than we do. So sure, except when we, you know, we say things like, I feel very comfort comfortable, comfortable, and then you're like comfortable. Like, but what does that make no sense? Like you're missing like five letters there. I know, exactly. Like <laughs> It's, it's totally not fair. It's totally not fair. Um, but I also appreciate what you said about the learning about how to listen and kind of sit back and absorb things. Because I mean, I actually think that's a skill that like humans should do, like should adopt, you know, because I think if we do more listening, we could actually avoid like a lot of you know conflicts. But, you know, it's essential in the documentary space, particularly like when you're having conversations with protagonists, because it's a different way of engaging and interacting so you can get the best of your protagonists on screen. So like, I really appreciate that. See, I got that master's because this is during when, when Obama was president. Felt like there's definitely going to be some kind of backlash, you know, after he leaves office. I had no idea like what it would be, but like, because it, it always happens, you know, after Reconstruction, you know, after the Civil Rights Movement, you know, in the 60s. So my theory was if things get too crazy, I could like be in China teaching at a university with my cat, like within six months. So it was like my get out of the U.S. plan. <laughs> but it, it was like, it was really, but actually it was really um, informative to me, just it, even like in the documentary space, just because the program I did at USC was really into looking at the pedagogy of their press, you know, Paulo Freire's work and looking at things from the perspective, how the system can be wrong and can be corrupted and how to make it more conducive and supportive for students, which, I mean, it definitely translates to the documentary space, you know, and a lot of the documentary space is like run by the nonprofit industrial complex. And then a lot of times filmmakers, particularly who are so-called underrepresented filmmakers, their needs aren't considered. And then there's really not any thought about like how the systems can be revamped, you know, in order to better serve filmmakers. So, and what was the first film that you did? My first film that was, I mean, aside from all the student films, I think my first film was my thesis film from my master's at UC Santa Cruz, which was called Vida Diferida translates to life deferred or a deferred life still available on canopy first go to new day films because that's actually the co-op where the, the film has been for uh since 2017 but yeah vida de ferida was kind of is the coming of age story of vanessa who i was a teacher too i was a middle school teacher in albuquerque new mexico and so for me, it was really shocking to see like, you know, as, as an immigrant that came here as an adult, it was really shocking to see a lot of children go to school. And then I started noticing over the years that they would kind of, the bar went really low as far as their ambitions, the more that they grew up because they realized, you know, if they were undocumented that they, they didn't have much to look forward to because of the way, and still the way this, this system is set up. So that's kind of, that was a film kind of from the point of view of a, of a teacher, of a teenager just wanting to be a teenager. But really, over the years, just kind of like tampering down her aspirations of being a doctor and just kind of saying, well, now I have to learn how to live under the radar. And then while I was in the middle of filming it, DACA happened. DACA is the for action for childhood arrivals that, you know, came to be under President Obama. And then, yeah, so I, I was there. I filmed the whole process of discussing with her family. Like, should we do this? Should we not do this? What are the implications? And going to a lawyer and be like, you know, this this is probably going to be a good thing. It's going to, you know, but all these different like back and forths. And so, so the, the film follows Vanessa for six years of her life, a little bit more. Vanessa is now 
graduated from college and Adele just bought her her first house and got married so okay yes living that life I know I'm so proud of her for just like yeah going for her goals so so yeah that's that was my my first film it was great and I loved it but of course as everybody else with their first film and second and gazillion film it's such a big learning experience and for me it was like okay so I have this film I've been working with for multiple years I am passionate about the topic. I know a lot of professors, activists. I love this topic. Now what, right? I navigated the film festival thing and it was like first time filmmaker. It's a short film, no budget. So it did well for that, but it was like, okay, so now what do I do with it? And it sat there for two years until a horrible presidential campaign started happening (laughs) and I was like I gotta do something I gotta spread this film somewhere so I redid the ending of the film and then I started looking like all right what are some outlets what are some tools that I have to get this film like I know this film's worth it I know no one was like lining up to distribute this film but I really believe and especially since she had connections with activists as well right exactly and so and it was kind of back and forth with the activists right it's just they're already busy with what they're doing right so they're like hey we'd love to use your film just let us know when it's available and can you set up a screening? And I'm like, I don't know how to set up a screening. So all this kind of, and that was, that was in 2017. So things were not, they were very different in terms of like online screenings or things like that. Right. But so, so yeah, that's when I found New Day Films and I had heard of New Day Films. There were a lot of filmmakers there that I, I looked up to had fil- films that were incredibly influential when I was a student and beyond. So I was like, why not try? Like maybe they'll, I don't know. I didn't even know what that was. Like educational distribution sounded good, but I had no idea exactly what it was. I just know it's a really cool collection and it seems like people are watching those films somewhere. So I'm going to try. And so I applied and I got accepted. That was a trip. Well, because it really like, it's one of those things that you just, why not? It might not work out, but I'm just going to try to say that I tried. And then it's like, oh my gosh, it, it worked out. So now, now what, right? So yeah, so I was in my final interview to join the co-op. So for those who don't know New Day, New Day is an independent uh, educational distributor. It's, it's a co-op. So it's all filmmaker owned and operated, which means that we all like kind of have like a job within the co-op. So there's like a web team and there's a curatorial team and like there's all these different groups that keep the co-op running, a social media team and the filmmakers do the work. And we only have one paid staff member. And we also have a wonderful mediator who works with the steering committee that is a group of filmmakers from the co-op that it's a voluntary position and each one of them represents a team and kind of leads that team into different initiatives. So I was really attracted to that idea because it just felt like a more horizontal way to do things, to distribute power, right? And decision-making, but I didn't really give it a big thought. And then when I was a part of like of, of that system, I was like, I just want to screen my film and it looks really cool. Let me ask you this. So as someone who's coming outside and who's applying for New Day films, like if your film is accepted, are you expected not only to like, you obviously focus on getting your film distributed, but are you expected to take on some kind of role within the organization? Yes. So you get a period of six months in which you get like a, a launch coach that helps you like get your materials together, like all your deliverables for the New Day website, for Canopy, for, for different, you just get your, your film ready ready to go. And then you get a marketing coach. And again, all of them are film 
filmmakers that they say, okay, I think I want to help them launch their films or I want to do this job. And so the marketing coach helps them like figure out like, okay, so this is more or less how you can send emails to professors, how you can you create your little campaign, your materials, sign up for conferences, librarians, just like different options, right? That are like a whole world that I had no idea existed that is just like very much apart from, you know, film festivals and streaming platforms, right? It's just, it's a completely different world. And so that after those six months, you get uh, your film up and running and then you are to, you have to choose a, a job to do. You have six months to settle in and then handle your business before you get to the business of New Day. I believe kind of, I've been on my sabbatical for this year, but for what I remember, and then I was in the steering committee for three years. I'm not quite sure, like, but I believe it's about a hundred hours per year that you need to put in your work, give and take. You know, some people just like, I am only available for this two weeks and I'm going to do this big project. And then you might, I might not be as active throughout the year. And there's people who kind of like say, you know what, give me one thing to do every week that is pretty like consistent and predictable. And I will just show up and do it. Right. So it works different for everybody, especially with filmmakers that sometimes we have projects and then we're just unavailable for like big chunks of time. So that's great that there's that flexibility. It's like the ultimate um, version of flex time. I think so. And I feel like it's a little fine line because, uh, you know, it's always a little bit of a, for some filmmakers, it becomes like they find what they want to do and they just love it and they thrive and they give all these hours of, of their time and talent, which is amazing. But for some filmmakers, it just, it works out pretty, pretty fast. It's like, all right, there was that. And then, you know, it's, they kind of postpone the work and it becomes a little bit of a, a complicated back and forth. They're like, hey, can you help us with this? Like, hey, I'm, this is my fifth email, right? Which is, you know, it's understandable. We go through periods like that. But every time that someone wants to join you day, I'm very cautious about telling them like, this is really cool. If you think like you have the time, like look at the titles, look at the filmmakers, like these people you want to collaborate with is this, is there projects here that you see, okay, that I want to invest, I'm going to invest my time and my energy because of this and that, like go for it. But if you're really just looking to distribute your film and send it in the world and just not have to engage, that's just, there are many wonderful, wonderful um, educational distributions out there that might work better. And, and that's, that's totally fine. And, you know, our filmmakers have some films with New Day and some films with other distributors, or they go to another distributor and then they come back to New Day. So it really depends a lot on, on the topic too, because there are filmmakers that, you know, for me, in the case of the film that I have with New Day, which is that same thesis film that's still been screened in universities and colleges, and it's just so encouraging to see that even after all these years. Yes, it's because it's still relevant. It's still very relevant. <sighs> Which is also heartbreaking. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that's for a lot of documentarians, right? On the one hand, you're like, yeah, my film after all these years is still relevant. But like my whole point about making the film is that it was not, right? Yeah, to make it not relevant. <sighs> I know. It's all this contradiction sometimes in the filmmaking world. Does New Day help filmmakers with developing curriculums that could go along? with their projects as far as the educational distribution? I think the thing with New Day is that it's kind of like do it yourself, but you're not alone. You know, it's like, it's like filmmaking, <laughs> right? Something like that. Uh-huh. Because, you know, we share the resources with, with each other. And, and, and so that's kind of part of like joining New Day is people are very generous about giving advice and time and energy. And I think for me, what really transformed my experience was that right away as I joined the co-op, there was another filmmaker, Corey Ohama, who had a film that was 
similar in topic to mine, but very different in style. We hit it off and we're like, we are going on the road together and we're going to have a blast and we're going to like promote our films, you know? And I think sometimes, you know, we tend to have this like, oh no, there's a film just like mine. What are we going to be like competing for attention or blah, blah, blah. But instead it just became this whole, like, let's just join forces. And gosh, it was great, you know, because then we were able to connect with, we reached out to professors and were, you know, for curriculum, we, we did, we, we made uh, different versions, like joint curriculum or. This is how you can present the films together or if you want to do them separately. Okay, that's great. That's great. We have this like 90 minute, 60 minute to 90 minute class uh, ready for you, professor or organizer or, you know, clergy or whomever going to use the film, like. This is how you can use the two films with your curriculum. And it's just a one, like a little one pager, right? That's very accessible for, for different grades and for different communities. So we did get help for professors to do that, but often, you know, you get into a new day and so it's, or, you know, in, in that setting, it's usually they're like, okay, so when you, you get started, find a professor that has seen your film, ask them for a quote. Right. And then just so you can put them in your DVD, like all these things that perhaps it's like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, but, but I had no idea. Like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cause, cause you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. Right. So there's a the whole thing, especially, you know, I, I didn't grow up here. And so there were a lot of things that were just not obvious to me that I didn't, I had no idea how they work. So that was very helpful. And, and again, there was people that were like, oh, you know what? Like there's this colleague of mine, I'm a professor. So a lot of the filmmakers, they are professors. So they are well-connected in academia. So they're like, I, I have this peer and I know they're gonna love your film. And so they would kind of recommend the film or invite us to speak at the university or at an event. And that was amazing because that is the other thing that made New Day really appealing to me. The fact that, you know, it kind of creates space for people of color in academia. Like if you're a filmmaker of color and you are making a film about a community of color, right? And then you show up there, you know, as a small brown woman with an accent and it's like, oh, this is not an anthropology film, you know, like. <laughs> it is not. Um, <laughs> so it feels not. like, and it's interesting to see, you know, the reaction of the students, especially students of color, right? They're like, oh, wow. Like, like oh, they're like relieved, probably. It's like, oh, this is right. Yeah, this is not the usual. Like, now I'm going to participate in class. And it's very encouraging to see that and to be regarded in that way and kind of have that. You're not just transforming the film space in terms of representation and authorship, and, and but you're also doing that with academia as well a lot of people probably gonna have questions about like the money part so so with the um, educational distribution like how like how are you getting paid are you getting paid when you're asked to like speak at conferences or are you charging screening fees you know because that's important and actually educational distribution can be a way for uh, filmmakers to get additional income for their projects so talk about that a little bit I had no idea that about any of that world because I grew up in Mexico and it was like, it was just, it's completely different. The, the distribution landscape there in terms of educational, the US is the educational market, the most profitable educational market, hands down from even, you know, the countries in Europe and it, like, there is no market that, that pays better uh, right now. 
uh, for educational screenings, presentations. And I, I do have to commend, you know, people who have been working to, to make that happen and, and really seeing the value of that, of all the work and the knowledge that people have put into, into making films. And it's kind of like an honor system. And I think that also involves like librarians and people who have been doing all that work and big shout out to librarians that, that go for, you know, like, Yes, they, they're the ones who ask for the material and, and they hold it. They're the ones who lend it out to professors. And... Exactly. And they're fighting for budget and for all these things. And, and they're really amplifying a lot of our work in ways that sometimes we don't even realize uh, and championing it. You know, they're organizing screenings and making flyers and calling their colleagues to come to this event and getting the snacks. You know what I mean? Like it's a labor of love because they love the topic and they love the students and they're that, that's it. Or the student organizers that are doing all that. that those are like, those are my people. I, uh, <laughs> I love them so much. So talk to the librarians, people. Seriously. Yeah, they are unsung heroes and sheroes. But yeah, so that's one of the really, uh, for me, that was one of the most appealing things about educational distribution, besides like having that presence and that, that other life for my film, like a new life, that, that it, it is, it's fairly sustainable, but I, I, I'd say that with a little caveat, because it is a privilege, to be honest, to do educational distribution, because you need to invest time and some money, right? Because you have to have a, a website to send your people to. You have to sometimes like get, gather your list of educators that you're going to reach out to. And you have to take the time to like schedule things or go attend a conference or just all those things take sometimes and pay, some time and patience because some months like there's no sales. And sometimes you have, you make a big campaign, you get a bunch of sales and it's life is great and you get invited to all these places and all that is nice, but it really requires, it's a risk. And, and it's very important to acknowledge that, you know, that I am in a dual income household where I don't have to worry about paying rent or what I'm going to eat tomorrow. So I can afford that. I can afford to be without compensation for a little while, but for a lot of filmmakers, that's not an option. And yeah, and I, I will get to that in a minute. I will come back to that in a minute because that's very important. Uh, you know, at the same time, you know, this the film that I had was a film that was, all right, so it wasn't festivals and, and that was it, right? And sometimes I was, I thought, well, maybe I can put it on iTunes or other like, um, uh, where at least people can see it and I can be like, well, I can maybe get a little bit of compensation or get a little bit of clout or whatever that, that was, right? But then through what I've enjoyed about New Day is that because it's with Canopy, then people can see it on any, with their library card, not any library, but most libraries in the U.S. have a subscription to Canopy. So it is free for people with a library card. So it becomes accessible in that way. But then universities do pay different licenses depending on, on so there's different plans, whether it is with Canopy or it is with New Day. Through our streaming platform, we have a really a wonderful streaming platform. So that is one of the awesome parts about it. But uh, there's also like collection sales. Sometimes librarians pay a certain amount of money and say, you know what, I want the whole collection for a year, for, for a certain amount of time, or I want this amount of titles. And so they get a discount. And so titles that they've been using in the past and maybe like professors select a few more new titles. And so that's where kind of like the power of that negotiation in groups is huge. And that is why New Day sometimes gets better percentages in different platforms. The amount of income you receive is larger than when any other educational distribution, but also you have to do the work, right? So it's, it's a matter of how much your time, not necessarily how much your time costs because it's different for everybody and not everybody has the same income in New Day. But it really is also about the energy, right? If this is a topic that you already have the connections and you're really passionate about and you know you're going to put your film out there, 
I think New Day is a good idea because you don't depend on an algorithm to suggest your film or like, well, we're going to wait until like Latinx Heritage Month or something to showcase your film, right? You don't have to wait for that because you just, you do it yourself and you go for it and you get, a, you know, that, that bigger percentage. And, and New Day does that. Like we do have a marketing team. Shout out to Chitra, who obviously like, you know, does that real work of making sure every, every, all the films have visibility and, and relevance and, and whatnot. But you can do a lot of that yourself. And anytime you present at a conference or you present, uh, you're invited to speak at a college or anything, it's all you, like New Day doesn't take any of that. You, it's, it's all you. For the conferences, it was, it was a little bit trickier. I mean, we are, we are there and people just go there and, and, you know, watch the film. There's a small Q&A, but then, uh, you know, we eat to, for, to like meet professors and just like, here's my film, which sounds like, yeah, this is really great. But you know what? Usually you get, you get like, oh, I'm not sure. So you just have to do that work of like the little follow-up. So that's where I always warn people, like, it's not, it, it's a little bit difficult to get started because that's when you have to do the little work of like, kind of like reminding people, hey, if you do this, like, so, you know, it's kind of like a salesperson sort of thing. And sometimes that's not very sexy or sim- just simply not something we want to do, right? We want to make films and want to do outreach, right? Which is totally fine. And I think, again, like for me, it really worked to team up with, with Corey Ohama because we really split a little bit of that work and it kind of made it fun in a different way because we, we wanted to hang out anyway. So why not just like make a plan and just like, okay, you follow up here, you follow up here. We're going to put, we're going to sit one day, like a full day and do all those follow-up emails and then we're done for a certain amount of time, right? So that kind of thing. And it works different for everybody else. Uh, some people have two, three films. So it's a lot easier for them to just kind of like do a plan and the films are kind of related in topic or there is another filmmaker that has another film that's more you know this filmmaker is more seasoned they have those connections and sometimes they're very generous often they will be very generous and they will invite you along and and so there's a lot of like uh mix and and, and match but 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 it, I think at the, the core of it is like if you are passionate about your topic and you've grown an audience right you work really hard to make these connections you've like kind of build your you know the the the, the name and then your team and and all the people involved the protagonists right it's like there's nothing more satisfying than when they invite you. Well, I mean, there's a lot of great things that are satisfying about the films, but when you are <laughs> like wrapping it up and finishing the film, right? Um, but, you know, something that's really empowering, I think, is when, you know, you get invited to a conference or, um, or, or a college and the protagonist is uh, invited along, you know, and they get compensated for the time and they get to shine and they get to like, say all they want to say and, and and people are just rooting for them and 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 it's it's just it's just great right and you can compensate your protagonist yes that's wonderful because like that's that's part of this somewhat new thing that we're talking about like protagonist stewardship like I love New Day's model and like I had always heard about New Day but I think it wasn't until like uh we were on a brown girls stop mafia call and you and um Chitra were talking about like how unique it is and um it was really fascinating to me because you know they over the past what five six years there's been all these conversations about sustainability in a, in a documentary field and sometimes I feel like those conversations conversations um, have lacked specificity and like what you're doing with New Day Films is not only um, like showcasing filmmakers, but also teaching these skills around like marketing and distribution that can help their projects that help to maintain sustainability. 
Yeah. So I think it's it's like that little fine line of just like, you know, acknowledging the needs of librarians and students and organizers who really cannot afford like a $400 license or speaking fee or something, right? And and who are some of the primary audiences for, for your film in the first place that you had in mind. So what I have enjoyed about New Jay is seeing different ways in which people kind of like break down or, or, or talk about how to negotiate that kind of situation, right? So on the one hand, it's like, well, there's a library card. You just go there, watch a film. Don't tell me what you did with it uh, or how many people saw it. I, I don't care. I didn't see that. But there's also like this amazing honor system and where, you know, universities have the, the budget, right? And, and so, but sometimes it's like, well, I don't have this, but I'd love to have the protagonist. I'd love to have you. And then just thinking creatively with them. Oh, how about the student association of blah, blah, blah. How about this? What if you team up with different departments? And then maybe that will work out. Like, how, how can I support that? You need any material. So you send them like you know, something to just kind of like facilitate that negotiation process. And then it ends up, yeah, and if everybody wins because it becomes a larger event, other uh, professors are aware of the film. Uh, so it's kind of like, feels like everybody wins and different departments pitch in, right? So those are like some of the kind of grassroots ways to do that. But I feel like, while it sounds exhausting, I feel like if that work was not done, then, you know, it, it, it just becomes it alienates like the independent filmmakers from, from these spaces, right? We need to just like make sure that we're carving that space that, that students also know that, you know, there's a lot of other folks making films that are, might not be on your like preferred streaming platform and don't have this massive budget, but they have a lot of things to say and they, you know, and then and, and this, and this is why it's worth supporting them and, and connecting with them right in person. And I think there's value of that. It's, it's part of kind of decentering academia. Um, I always say decentering because decolonizing would be a little bit more of the dream, right? But it, the realities that we have, right? Start the decentering is, is, is a nice way to start. <laughs> Unless the college <laughs> is willing to give the land back, uh, then yes. we're going to say decenter for now, right? How does someone um, submit their project to New Day Films? And are you looking for like certain type of projects? Um, that is a wonderful question. I just I, I just finished my run as the equity and representation team lead, which was a team that never didn't exist before. And so I was the very first one. And one of our, our, our goals was to prioritize borderline, like let's just have uh, all of our new filmmakers, uh, new member owners, that's how we call uh, ourselves, MOs, member owners, be from underrepresented, historically underrepresented communities in film. And so that is kind of like the larger effort. And, you know, it's a co-op. And, uh, and so it has to be democratically decided that that's how it's going to be. And over, over the years, I've noticed like an overwhelming, like su increasingly support, increasing support for access in terms, not only in like the films and the filmmakers that uh, join the co-op, but also like our materials and our approach to education and our approach to sales, right? Because it's also really important to acknowledge that while it is a co-op and it, it at its essence, it's like, uh, to me, it, it is like a very uh, counterculture sort of way to, to do things, right? It's like, we're going to distribute, right? We're all going to make decisions. We're going to vote for how much we're going to price our films for, but also we're going to be transparent and we're going to see everybody's income and we're going to see how everybody's doing and share. If you make more, you give more. If you give less, you give less. And I feel like that, to me, that's just like, that was mind blowing. And I was like, how come nobody is like lifting us up, right? But at the same time, it's sales, right? We are trying to sell films and we are marketing like 
our films and ourselves as filmmakers and all these things. So that's also just like, uh, like how do you do this collective work? It, it, we, you know, that is ex like still existing within this like very capitalist sort of uh, way to, to, to operate life. And I think that, you know, that's the reality where we find ourselves like in general in, in documentaries. So I think like kind of navigating that fine line of like, we're a collective and we're all friends and we're democratic and whatnot, but we're also selling a product. And what does that, that mean in terms of access, right? In terms of like uh, needing to have like a money and time and, and, and social capital and like, what is aesthetic, right? How are we gonna admit a film? Like, what are the aesthetics that we are uh, looking for when we're curating things, when we are, acquiring new films or, or members, like what kind of trajectory do they have to have? Uh, what are we validating here, right? So the, all those things, like the, the beauty and the, the complication of it is that because New Day, uh, all the jobs are kind of cyclical, New Day, New Day kind of becomes different every, depending on who the members are and who the active members are, right? So that's why like a priority is to, to just like, you know, get more filmmakers from historical underrepresented communities in, in New Day because, um, there, there is still a majority white. Uh, it's not as, as much as it was uh, a few years ago, but uh, there's majority like white uh, filmmakers and, um, but you know, and it's, it's very important to, to change who's making the decisions and who's running the co-op. Um, and until we don't have that, then things are gonna reflect uh, the members, right? But so there's, there's multiple things that uh, New Day is working on. We're hoping to, create a fellowship in, in the near future that is going to precisely address some of those needs, right? So you wanna join, you wanna do that whole thing, but do you have six months to prepare your film? Do you have the budget to get your film started? And if you don't, how can we help you? So that's where we're, we'll share more of that in a few months. <laughs> to be continued, to be continued. All right. Um, so I actually wanted to backtrack a little bit to your um, original, your first film that was with New Day. And because it is about a young woman who is undocumented. And um, we've had Seth um, Hernandez from Killion here from the Undocumented Filmmaker Collective. I think it's really important to um, like talk about if for filmmakers who are working with undocumented folks, what things they need to be cognizant of in regards to like protecting these people who they are filming. So if you could just kind of speak to that, because I think it's always good to have a reminder. Yeah, I think for me, that was the first question that I was wrestling with uh, as soon as the camera started rolling. And it just, it, it was actually originally a story with six children. And so I decided to just go for one of them. And, and a lot of the decisions were made based on, on precisely like that kind of like vulnerable immigration status, different family members or other situations that would be, you know, just not safe. And so we had that conversation constantly with the protagonist and with her family. Like, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. You know, we reviewed cuts together, you know, and, and kind of went through different scenarios, right? It's just like, and, and even like they're the ones who provided some suggestions is like, oh, well, what if this question comes up? I would, I, you know, we would be back and forth and they say, well, why don't you say this? Why don't you say this? And like, okay, so this is the story we're gonna handle of like what happened afterwards. And, you know, and, and Vanessa, uh, who's the protagonist of the film was like always very much about, all right, so I'm, I'm gonna be the one that's going to be like handling this. I got you all and <laughs> I'm speaking. I am voluntarily sharing this and this is what, what is going on. And um, there's also an element of the film too that 
I think we try to, how can I say, the protagonist is not necessarily like a, a very outspoken person in terms of like, you know, activism or just like saying really key things. And it's more like this is a teenager just turning into a teenager in the midst of all this. So a lot of the film focuses more on, on, on that aspect rather than like very personal details about policy or about where this person lives or where is the you know all these different aspects about it so it's always that complicated thing is like well you know if we don't tell the stories we stay safe but because we don't tell the stories things don't get to change right and it's yeah but yeah I I feel like it's I try to be very upfront that you know this film was made by an immigrant who was an educator who it's kind of like the learning process that I had as a teacher, as, a, as an adult immigrant that had a very different immigrant ex- immigration experience than, than the protagonist, right? And so that is where this is coming from. What I had in mind when I was making this film was actually other immigrants or people in Mexico where we both are from, the protagonist and myself, right? That we, you see this, like, like we'd have no idea about it in Mexico. You know what I mean? Like we really never have these conversations about so many people that are literally sustaining the country because they are really like people just don't talk about like even on a on a personal level or are you talking like on a like a governmental political level I think in general like the societal conversation doesn't really go I think that growing up there there was always the idea of like well they're really far away and that's where they are and that's it right like they're 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 there becoming American or whatever and that's cool and then but we really don't have enough conversation about it and there's definitely not enough like you know acknowledgement and 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 support for again like you know the money that immigrants send to Mexico that the people that are you know it's it back it's like the biggest source of income for the entire country to me it just feels like how, how can we be so grateful just provide support and, and, and just like greet them whenever they are, you know, they, they come visit or they return or whatever. How can they, we don't just like greet them and take care of them and just, you know, welcome them with like open arms and love and praise because they're so, you know, all like all that they do, the work, their bravery, their everything. It's so interesting. Maybe this is just a factor of being in the documentary space, but I, I feel like, you know, immigration and migration is like such a huge part of our national conversation. Uh, in the United States, but it's so fascinating that it's not in Mexico. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, this could be like a whole different <laughs> conversation around it, but yeah, I mean, don't get me started with what how how it, the general societies in Mexico treats immigrants from other countries. It's just like, so, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of uh, need, there's great need for transnational conversations about uh, specific and universal stories that really keep it there. I, I always say, you know, sometimes there's a bunch of films about immigration, this and this, and that, but it's like, there's never enough. There's never enough because we need more. <laughs> like, there's just, there's so many aspects about it, right? Like it could go in so many directions and there's so many audiences for it, right? And I feel like that's what's sorely lacking that a lot of, films usually have you know and and I I am guilty of that too and sometimes like I have to redirect my my gaze and my tensions like whom am I making this film for am I making this film for like the you know kind of the 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 white American liberal sort of person that's going to sort of already agree with me and kind of to to please a certain aesthetic or a certain way of thinking or is there, am I, am I just leaving, again, like it's all about the centering, right? Who is not being seen, reflected, spoken to? 
in this story and what is my you know and you always have to make choices right because there's also like people or, or audiences that you're like maybe this is not for them you know it's not going to reach them and that's totally fine but at the same time I think like sometimes we tend to in the quest for funding for eyes for clout for validation for all this like artistic whatever artistic training we've had or whatever we leave out so many other people so many other audiences and so that's that's something that is I think specifically in terms of immigration films, I think that um, that's something we could address. Yeah. There's this really good book called The Undocumented Every Day. It's a phenomenal analysis of art projects related to the undocumented from the second half of the Bush administration all the way through the Obama administration. It breaks everything down. So what it does is initially like a lot of the art projects in the like the latter part of the Bush administration were about the undocumented but they were targeted toward your know, liberal white folks. That began to change as undocumented folks began to tell their own stories. And it really talks about that transition. And, and ultimately, the, the, at the end of the book, it really, the point is like people need to own their own authorship particularly to make effective change because like some of the artwork that was geared toward like liberal, like liberal white folks was in an effort to quote unquote humanize immigrants. I, I hate that phrase humanize because I've always feel like people who are in the state of being oppressed actually maintain their humanity and those who are doing the oppressing <laughs> are the ones who actually need to exercise humanity. Yeah, it's kind of like saying a voice to the voiceless. Yeah, it's like, no, I'm like, we got a voice. Thank you. Ain't nobody voiceless here. It's a really great analysis of, of that. So I, I encourage people to read it because you you can just see the progression and it outlines like clearly what works, you know, and, and what doesn't. Yeah. So, okay, speaking of transnational, um, I want you to talk about your work with the Video Consortium Mexico. Let's get into how you're trying to bring the U.S. and uh, Mexico together. I was invited recently, like I think it was about a year ago, to join that amazing group by Daniel Chavez on Tiveros who's also a Bay Area-based filmmaker, but also from Mexico City. He's an amazing editor and just filmmaker in general. So he's been collaborating with uh, a, a group of filmmakers. Uh, shout out to Monica Weiss as well from, from Brown Girls Dog Mafia. It, it's mostly about, you know, it's definitely led and works around aspects in, it related to film in Mexico City. And But the idea right now is to decentralize. And to see how just different, and I and I, I feel like it's important that it also has representation from the U.S. because of what some of the things that we were mentioning, right? There's a lot of stories that I think that are for for mutual like of mutual interest and relevance and conversations that are not being had in both sides of the border, and we're missing out on so much because of it. Considering that a lot of families already exist in both places, right, in both spaces. But those are not the people that are normally catered to in, in film festivals and things like that, right? So, so how do we kind of distribute the resources, the access, the decision-making in ways that, that are, are relevant to uh, what filmmakers are doing? I mean, the situation in Mexico with film is not that great. Funding is very limited and it keeps on shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Do you mean funding specifically for documentary projects or, or for independent filmmakers? Independent filmmakers in general, but documentary film is definitely 
not doing that great. And there's also the aspect that, you know, there's a lot of uh, productions that sometimes go to Mexico and it's like hiring. How do we optimize it so that Mexican crew is getting hired in different parts of the country, right? Because that happens too, like being in Mexico City, people bring their Mexico City people to all these places when there's already filmmakers there. So who are the organizations that are working on the ground in different states? Like, right, states where people, like there's like a lot of filmmakers want to go to anyways. Like right now, a lot of people are going to Oaxaca or a lot of people are uh, going to certain regions right now that already have a really like strong uh, film community that is doing amazing things. So how do we have like this, a little bit of kind of what Burn Girls has sort of has been doing for a lot of us in the past few years, just like, there's no excuse. No, I'm not, you're not going to hear that, but there's no one I found and there was no one qualified. <laughs> yeah. Because you have a very limited network. Maybe that's why there's no excuse. Maybe try it for, for a change, right? Think outside your friends, you know, and just all this acknowledgements that if with like every film industry, but in Mexico, it's also true. Being able to make films is often a labor of, of a lot of work and and time but also it's a result of a certain amount of like privilege and access because that equipment is not going to buy itself because those people with available time to volunteer to be your sound person or your gaffer or something you know don't have to worry about rent and they're able to put that money and effort into that so all these things right that are also like amplified when you are in a country with limited resources and just operating kind of like a condition to operate from uh, a thought like it's scarcity, right? Thinking about scarcity rather than distribution of, of, of resources. So, so that is kind of what we were trying to do, but little by little, it's, it's just growing. And then with the pandemic, uh, it became an opportunity. So a lot of those access uh, situations just kind of, it's, it's one of those tiny silver linings. I wouldn't say tiny, but it's a silver lining from this whole uh, pandemic, right? Like access was a little bit more I think equitable in terms of like, okay, so people can have a seat at the table, can sit at the conversation, like there's no excuse to keep people out of conversations, including, you know, translations like through Zoom or closed captioning or, you know, the sign language interpreter, like all these things that I just like, I hope they never, ever, ever go away. I know exactly. Like to me, it's, it's weird when I'm on a like, a, a, like watching a panel or an event and they don't have an ASL interpreter. Yeah, like, it's just odd. Like, and I don't understand ASL, but like, it's, it's become the norm and it's like, it's great. So for the Video Consortium Mexico, is there actually a database or something that people can go to and say, hey, I'm looking for folks in Oaxaca? We're working on that. We're growing very slowly, yes. But in the meantime, we're offering like master classes or, you know, trying to invite filmmakers uh, to present their work, uh, to have kind of uh, like feedback sessions or just Q and A's to exhibit their work and 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 um, or just uh, kind of networking sessions and things like that. But we're hoping that we grow because it's all volunteer based uh, right now. But yeah, but we're hoping. Yeah, and if there's anyone listening in that has uh, you know that works works in Mexico is actively uh, or that is working here, but it has strong ties to Mexico. Or anyone listening, you need crew in Mexico. We have a Facebook page, post any, any job, any gig, any inquiries, we post on our Facebook page, plenty of talent.
all over the country. I don't know because like I know you and I, you know, also I knew um, Emily um, Cohen Ivanez and her film Fruits of Labor is set in Watsonville. I feel like I know so much about Watsonville, you know, but it seems like this special place where a lot is happening, you know, um, just not only in the world, but also in the film space. Yeah, so talk about Watsonville because like people need to know about the, that festival and y'all show some like really great films and you're also so firmly rooted um, in the community. Absolutely. Uh, so the Watsonville Film Festival, I, I mean, it's just so hard to describe because it's just unlike any other festival I've ever seen in terms of like, you know, it's not, and again, talking about decentering, I feel like the festival really decenters everything that all, like not all, because there's some amazing festivals out there, but the traditional or mainstream kind of idea that we have about a film festival, what they center, it's exactly what the film festival, like Watsonville Film Festival just totally moves away from <laughs> so you know because our our audience our, our our primary audience is the people in Watsonville in the Watsonville area and surrounding areas which is you know mostly like first second third generation immigrants from Mexico and Central America are uh, rural folks from you know different backgrounds diaspora and their their, their children from again from multiple places we have a, a big Japanese American community big Filipino American community that you know was we used to have bigger communities from those places and then they eventually got displaced so there's a long, long history of resistance in the area and the movement I want to say if you go to the I forget exactly where it is but there's a John Steinbeck museum you know the author wrote Grapes of, Grapes of Wrath not only is it a museum about his work but also the time in the community and they have these great exhibitions like um, focusing on like the, the Filipino folks who were originally there like farming the land and like Japanese Americans so it's a really great place to visit particularly if you love Steinbeck's work but also just to learn about the history of, of that area. I, I feel like there is some something about where, where Watsonville like all the central kind of coast and valley are situated which there's like this mix of like you know, all these farm workers, all these like people who have come here and have like uh, worked so hard only to just like have to find different forms of, of systemic oppression and, 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 and you know, in and, and, and this, and this space, right? And so, and then I think there is something about to like, you know, the, the area is just, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's really beautiful. But, but I think like that's part of what the festival is, 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 is trying to do. It's just, you know, film firmly like this firm belief that, you know, film is for everybody. Right. And then what are the kind of stories that really speak to the people where we're trying to reach, right? Not films that are like super complicated and, and star studded and all that stuff, but just films that speak directly about and from, you know, come from those those communities. And it's it's not while it's predominantly Latinx, the, the audience of the festival really try to think about like Latinx people don't just consume Latinx content, right? Just like everybody else, they want to see a variety of films that they find entertaining, educational, whatever, right? So that's we try to have that in mind and really and, and but also acknowledge some of the what are some of the things or some of the factors that our own communities see in, in film festivals and that kind of thing like that that make it appealing or not right so so the festival is very collaborative so uh, with with the community in terms of like all right so we're going to screen a film about you know a, a someone who's keeping seeds 
for the community and preserving them. Who are we going to invite? Who's going to speak? We found a who in the community is already doing that work. And so they come, they speak, they maybe they, they have a, an event. They're like, oh, well, you know, maybe we can make like tortillas or whatever, you know, <laughs> and that's like bring the grinder and they bring the family, bring the kids because a lot of our, our, our community, you know, has family and we all go everywhere with our family and where one eats, then seven other people eat. <laughs> yeah so you gotta have some stuff for the kids to play with and to do and then so you know and then finding spaces where people can move around freely and you know that are like oh no you can't bring your your kid into this or you cannot you know they just like are very very you know the uh, different ways to experience film and experience community and experience all these different things so uh while lifting up like our our, our local um activists, workers, businesses, and, and every day, the people that are part of the community. And so the more that they are, you know, part of the, the festival, the music, they bring their friends. And a lot of times we hear, I've never been to a festival before. And so it's always like really rewarding that now it becomes like, yes, it's a festival, but it's really known in the community as just like, oh, what's the event? What are they doing? Like, what's, who's going to be there? What is going to be the food? And, and we split it into different segments every year. So like right now we have an upcoming event for Dia de los Muertos, and, uh, you know, and we have some, we, we have free screenings online of um, different films, like we're going to be showcasing uh, Lourdes Portillo's uh, film uh, that's like now just such a landmark in Chicanex film, La Ofrenda, right? And, and, uh, and at the same time, like also having a, a collection of local shorts online for free with Q&A with local artists that, uh, you know, filming their own altars and what it means to them. And also like in the main plaza, people can uh, sign up to create their own altar with their friends. And we're gonna showcase them. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a dance troupe's gonna come dance. So, and, and then a public screening of, uh, of a children's film about Dia de los Muertos. And we'd love to invite everybody to come join us. We're gonna have a blast. When I talk to people who are interested, they have, they've done a short, and they um, are interested in turning that short into a feature. I always actually talk about you because in, I've been in rooms, like decision-making rooms, like in regards to when grants are being awarded. And sometimes people will present film that was a short and then they're turning it into a feature. And inevitably like the question comes up, um, how is the short different from the feature? And you have, I feel like in your work in kind of translating uh, translate Libertard into a longer project have actually done a phenomenal job in that because Libertard focuses Alejandra and her work in the clinic and re really it's kind of it's, it's like profile of her but also profile of the clinic whereas your feature is more it's basically her personal story talk about like what that transition was like but also like where you are with the feature and just give us an update on how Alejandra is doing Oh, uh, thank you. I feel like you see me, Tony. I appreciate that so much. <laughs> I feel seen. So we decided to, like you said, it was a profile piece and, and yeah, like we were at Outfest and Frameline and we were so fortunate that people were so welcoming and interested in the short and, and, and we didn't put the film out there in, in any platforms, uh, but we were receiving inquiries from, especially from local uh, colleges and, and, and universities and to just come visit. And, and Alejandra was like, yeah, I want to do that. So we went, so we spent time with her going to all these different places. And, you know, as soon as she took the mic, it was like the whole room was just 
stopped and everybody had so many questions like and we always ran out of time and people would just want to talk to her afterwards and it was just so powerful and, and it was a great opportunity it was a gift to us to just hear more too about Alejandra's life because you know at that point we we knew her but we weren't like super close because we were just we we're just going to do the profile piece and, and and that's that and you share whatever you want to share and, and, and there was that. But then, you know, we became a lot closer and as she kept sharing more and more details and people were interested. We were like, well, would be interested to. And, and, and those were some of the questions that the audience had. It's like, are we going to be able to see anything about what that and, and the, some of the things that people were interested in for, for those who are not quite familiar with the story is that, you know, Alejandra in the profile and the, the little short profile piece, it was about, you know, her work as, a, as, a, as I mentioned earlier, right, as a, as a healthcare advocate, and a little bit about like her, her Oaxacan roots and how proud she was and her dream to see her mother again someday after back then it was, I think, 25 years uh, of being apart. And so as we learned more about the relationship, we were really it was so sweet to see how much love there was between her and her mother, uh, because it's not, you know, a usual thing. It, and, and coming from Mexico, at, at least for me, that was that's I always like to be very clear that my perspective, you know, as everybody, we change. But often when I when I work with fellow immigrants, that's my perspective, too, as a, as a binational person, as someone who, you know, grew up in Mexico City. I, I'm always really um, interested in how other uh, migration and, and identity experiences are, all the similarities that they have to mine, but also like, you know, how, um, how they meet and then they, they intersect and then they, they oppose in, 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 in multiple ways, right? And how they change over time because it's, it's such a process uh, of understanding yourself. So with Alejandra, it was kind of like that same sort of connection and, and, and the conversation that we constantly had, especially, you know, as someone who is trans and indig indigenous like Alejandra, and I am mestiza and I, I you know, I'm a cisgender heterosexual uh, woman. So, you know, a, an experience from Alejandra was like very informative because what I, all that I knew was just like, you know, it was a lot about like about the trans experience or including the, the, and also the indigenous experience was, you know, a lot of trauma, or also from Oaxaca, I had this idea that Oaxaca was like a really accepting place where the, for those who are not familiar with Oaxaca is in the south uh, of Mexico. And um, there's um, a lot of indigenous groups that are still like very active in the area. There's a popular depiction of Oaxaca as there's a specific group of indigenous people there that recognizes the true spirit identity. Uh, for, for that specific indigenous group, it's called Mushe. So Mushe is, is basically, to refer, it's, it refers to a true spirit individual in, in a specific community in the Istmo de Tehuantepec, which is a region in Oaxaca. And so while there, there's, there's that aspect of uh, the specific identity that's very embraced in the area, there's also a lot of persecution. There's also a lot of, there's confusion around like, okay, so is, does that mean that, that that's a trans individual or is that different? And there's a conversation going on in, in, within those groups in, in Mexico. And, and so there's different aspects about it, right? That I, 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 you know, I didn't have, and I still, I mean, I don't feel like fully qualified to speak about because it's not the community I'm a part of. But back then I was completely like, I had no idea about all the, the things that were going on. Um, but I knew, I, I know that in Mexico, there's still a lot of violence and a lot of repression against, you know, people who are not just cisgender or heterosexual, let alone people in indigenous communities. So, so those were some of the aspects that, you know, we had conversations about because her and her mother were so loving towards each other. 
And that is not something that you get to see a lot in, you know, especially like the immigrant experience or the LGBTQ experience or in a lot of marginalized identities. And I can only speak for myself, right? Because that's not what I saw growing up. That's not the depictions that I see on of people um, of immigrants and immigrants from Mexico. So, so we, we wanted to kind of explore that with Alejandra, like, because it was just so beautiful and just like the journey back to her mother, right? If that was going to happen. So that was kind of the original premise of the film. And it's changed a lot over the years because Alejandra has an asylum, a pending asylum case. So, so all of those things were factors into just like, you know, how these two uh, women had so many systemic um, circumstances that didn't allow them to stay, to, that they, you know, they had to be apart in order to be who they wanted to be, right? And all the cycles of, again, of, of oppression and violence that, that Alejandra came to, to just like topple down and said, that's not going to be me. I am not going to be part of that cycle of poverty, violence, marginalization. I'm going to break free. And in the process of doing that, she set a lot of her, her family and loved ones free and her community in the United States too. Her chosen family here also experienced some of that. So I think that that's, that's where the film is really going. Like Alejandra as like this kind of breaker of cycles, breaker of, you know, all these things and how that permeates into, into different communities, right? And, and we hope that this film kind of engages with all the communities that Alejandra represents, you know, immigrants, indigenous communities, trans communities, women, healthcare advocates, and, and so on and so forth. Because she is just so, she's lived so many lives and brought so much um, to so many people. I mean, I so love what you said about her breaking these cycles. Ronelle and I went to this event on Monday about climate justice, and it was a panel of Indigenous and Black folks who were talking about that. And one of the um, ladies um, said, talked about breaking cycles and how um, particularly when we make the point to, to um, say no, particularly to like some like family dynamics around, around trauma, uh, that we are, are healing the generations that came before us. Particularly just in talking about trauma, because um, I've been open about like I'm in therapy and I've had like a lot of trauma in my life. It's profound. Like one of my motivations was like, I did not want to pass this down. Like I don't have children, but I don't want to past these ways of interacting that are harmful. The, it makes space for a better world, you know? And it takes courage to do that too. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of work. <laughs> I think what you're saying is really, what you said is really key that I know you said like, you don't have children, but I feel like, you know, like Alejandra doesn't have children either, but yet like her legacy is just, it's, it's beyond her. Like she's just, you know, everything about like the, the, the way all this process of, of coming here and, and, and creating a life and creating a family, a chosen family, sort of, even though it's not her children, it does permit. And I think that's the, the work that we all do. The work, Tony, that you're doing is, is, is you are passing on your legacy to a bunch of us, you know, and honestly, like there's a lot of power too in, in thinking about like, I'm, it stops here, right? And then, then like all this ancestors that, that you know, were, are, are behind you, whether they were the perpetrators or the healers or, or the ones who just could not get that, that justice or that, that voice, that, you know, voice heard, they, uh, you, you are that, right? And, and it just becomes so much more intentional and just like, they're, they're just like, I don't know. And there's something really great about that. And I feel like I love that a lot of conversations are happening around that because, you know, especially as we're at a reckoning moment, uh, yet another reckoning about our history as a country. 
uh, is very important to come with that power and that hum- humbleness too. Like, I think there is a shift and people that are really, you know, there was this mentality that a lot of us grew up with, you know, it was hard for me, so they have to work hard for it. And right now it's more of the, I, I keep finding more people that are like, it was so hard for me and it didn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that for other people. And so more often than not, maybe I'm just like too like optimistic, but I have found that a lot in the documentary world, <laughs> or maybe it's because of the places I'm mentioning, right? Or, you know, the Watsonville Film Festival, the, the community in general here in, in Santa Cruz and Watsonville is just very, very uplift, uplifting. Um, you know, people at Bayback and it's just, there's like all these great people like, positing all oh, this like everybody uh you know everybody can uh, make a little bit of room and I'm I'm very happy to be at this moment even though it's a, you know documentary it's a hustle and there are some real issues happening it's very encouraging and yeah and I'm so happy to be a part of this and just seeing everybody grow up uh together it was so great to catch up with Brenda and to have the chance to learn more about her and New Day Films As Brenda said, so many filmmakers are so focused on getting their film done that educational distribution is not just an afterthought, but it's an after afterthought. The beauty of New Day Films is that it not only gives a filmmaker the metaphorical fish, but also teaches her how to fish in a transparent and domestic way. Many filmmakers are focused on the larger distributors and streaming platforms. While considering those revenue streams, don't forget that there just might be a few dollars, euros, bot, or gold, and then their educational heels. Brenda also has a keen understanding of how her lived experience and her gaze shapes her worldview and interactions with her protagonists. This is a conscious way of being that all filmmakers should have whenever they pick up a camera. If you are looking for crew in Mexico outside of Mexico City, hit up the video consortium. And if you're going to be near Watsonville on October 27th through November 2nd, visit their website to get tickets for the Dia de los Puertos event. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. When you give us that five-star rating, it helps to make people more aware of our podcast. Visit our website at whatsupw.com. That's whatsupw.com. And make sure to sign up for our mailing list to get the latest show news. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at What's Up W Docs. Again, that's What's Up W Docs. And remember, keep telling your stories. Today's episode was hosted by Tony Bell and produced by Renelle Schubert. Music is by Sierra Thomas. The What's Up Docs team would like to acknowledge the traditional ancestral unceded territory of the Chumash and Tongva on which we are recording this podcast.